you are listening to the Sermon Podcast at Bethel. We're an evangelical covenant church located in western Wisconsin outside of Ellsworth, and you can find out more about us on our website, BethelCov.org. My name is Todd Speaker. I'm the pastor here, and thank you for listening. Pray with me. Lord God, as we open your word today, open our hearts and open our ears uh, to hear from you. Uh, Help us to hear and be doers of the word and follow you faithfully. In your name, amen. All right, so today we're in Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 32. And so you can open, go ahead and open there. And we're kind of coming into the final uh, stretch of Acts. But I want to start with, um, this is going to be following somebody who we've talked about before named Paul. Um, But I want to start with something else that Paul wrote um, in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 13. Uh, You don't need to look it up. It's it's really quick. I'll just read it. Uh, Paul Paul wrote this. And I actually have got on slide. Yeah, perfect. It says, He's writing to his church, and he's, he's giving them this encouragement, this, um, this direction. He says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Uh, this is a very common Bible verse, um, and you've probably heard it before. Uh, and, and Paul is using this to try and explain uh, to his church what's What's really going on in their world and who their enemy is? We've talked about this before. Well, uh, today uh, we're going to look at uh, one example of what Paul is talking about in Acts. Uh, so in, in, our, in our passage today, in chapter 16, uh, we get an example of, of one, what this can look like, uh, what this looked like for Paul in, in one circumstance. And so uh, we're going to be in, in Acts, again, Acts 16, starting in verse 16, and today, uh, if you just open up, I won't have it on the screen, so make sure you get it on your phone or on one of the pew Bibles there. Uh, We're just going to sort of walk through it, and we're going to keep our eyes open uh, for um, four different um, brands of this. Uh, When Paul says, um, rulers, authorities, and powers of the dark world, and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, we're going to look at at four examples of this, because Paul kind of encounters four different kinds of, of sin, of, of spiritual evil. Uh, so, so here we go. Uh, chapter 16, verse 16. Uh, it starts uh, this way. It says, uh, so Paul has just started this new mission, and we're going to be following the, the rest of Acts. We're going to look at this new mission that Paul's on. Uh, he's gone to this brand new place, and, and for the first time ever in his missionary journey, he's going to places that really don't know hardly anything about um, Jews and the God of Israel. So it's a different kind of place. And so um, the thing that Paul used to do is every time he'd go to a new city, he'd visit the synagogue uh, where all the Jewish people were to try and get, to sort of get them on board as sort of a starting place for his mission. Well, this, uh, this area doesn't have a synagogue, so he goes to what um, Acts calls a place of prayer. So chapter 16, verse 16, it says this. Uh, Once when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. 
She had earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling, and she would follow Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Uh, so, so when Paul and, and Silas and, and the group that is going with them, they enter into this area, there's this woman, um, again, this, this fortune-telling slave um, who, who has a, a, an evil spirit. And so this is our first example of evil. So our first encounter is, is spiritual, spiritual evil. Um, so, so this woman is following Paul, and, and what's she saying? She's saying, these guys, they're God's servants, and they're telling you the way to be saved. Now, if you were on a mission uh, from, from God, if you believed you're on a mission from God, and as soon as you arrive in the town, and, and your mission is to tell people how they can be saved, and all of a sudden somebody's like, these guys know who God is, and, and they know how to get saved. How do you react to that? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? That's kind of a good thing, right? Right? You're new in the area. This woman who everybody already sort of respects or at least believes has these powers is, is putting all this attention on you. Um, <clears throat> and, and again, so it, it's kind of, you know, it's, it's sort of a, a mixed bag. You think, okay, this would be, this would be a, positive, a positive thing. And, and we don't talk much or think too much about, about spiritual evil in the Western world. It's, it's kind of strange to us. It's hard to define. Um, but I think sometimes it's more real than um, we're willing to admit. And so this is the first kind of, kind of evil. But in this case, the evil is sort of seems to be on, on the side of good in a way. You know, if you squint your eyes, if you're Paul, you think maybe, you know, just like we got this cool hype, hype person, right? Uh, so it continues, though. It says in verse 18 that she kept this up for many days. And finally, and I love this reaction because it's just so human. The people uh, in, in Scripture really are human beings that get annoyed. It says, <laughs> finally, Paul became so annoyed, and maybe he was just going to let it go, and he didn't want to get involved, he didn't want to cause trouble, but he gets so annoyed that he turns around uh, to the woman. She's, she's you know, saying this, uh, and, she, and he says this to the Spirit. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ... I command you to come out of her. And at that moment, the spirit left her. So again, just to recap, a new place. This woman is, is saying good things about Paul, and Paul, he just sort of hits the end of it. He, he's tired of, you know, it's disruptive or whatever, and he says, you know, uh, in the name of Jesus, come out. He says the spirit, and the spirit leaves her. He heals her of, of her uh, possession. And so this is sort of the instigating moment of everything else that follows. If, if Paul had let this go, nothing else happens in this story. Um, but he doesn't. Um, for whatever reason, he, he calls that spirit out. And, and in a moment, um, we have this first encounter where Paul, empowered by the Holy Spirit, uh, smacks into um, uh, a representative of spiritual evil. This, this poor woman who's, who's possessed by the spirit. He sets her free uh, and it, it, causes, it causes problems, <laughs> because as soon as, as the Holy Spirit crashes into this woman, um, his actions, Paul's actions, um, awaken a bunch of different kinds of evil, and you'll see it in the story how, how they sort, it's almost like, um, uh, you know, I think, is Steve in here? Steve told me a story once, I don't see him this morning, um, Steve Johnson told me a story once that he hit a ground wasp nest with a weed whipper. <laughs> And it was, oh, there he is, right? And it was not any fun. 
It was not any fun. And this is exactly what Paul's doing. He's, he hits a wasp's nest with a weed whipper. This, this, this crash happens, and there are all kinds of consequences because Paul's actions, they wake up a bunch of different forms of sin and evil that are at work in this community. And where before, uh, maybe they were going to almost be on Paul's side or, or let what he was doing slide. Now, um, they're, they're mad. His, his, his actions awaken what uh, Ephesians calls, you know, spiritual forces of evil, the powers and principalities of this dark world. Uh, and so we'll, we'll continue on. Verse 19, when her owners realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities. So, so we have our, our second kind of evil that wakes up in this moment, because as soon as Paul uh, cures her of her demon possession, he's taken away the, the revenue stream of, of her owners. And we see uh, an example, and I was trying to think of a good word for this, and I, I'm not totally happy with it, but we see f- a kind of financial evil, evil at work in, uh, in the profit motive, wakes up all of a sudden, right? Uh, in this case, there are these men, they're exploiting this woman for their own financial gain. And like most kinds of evil, uh, they don't mind if their slave is drawing attention to Paul. They don't mind if, if she's, um, you know, encouraging people to be saved by Paul. In fact, they're kind of fine with it. You know, as long as, as, long as she's making money, as long as people think she can tell the future, like, let's keep going. They're, they want to be friends with Paul, but as soon as Paul um, messes with their product, the claws come out, Right? And they drag them, they, they seize them and drag them into the marketplace to face the authorities. Um, oftentimes we think that we can collaborate and cooperate or at least stay out of the way of evil and still somehow do good. And, and Paul could have, right? He could have been on these guys' side. Their slave was encouraging people to follow them. They could have said, you know what? You're making money. We're telling people about Jesus. Let's work together, but, but he doesn't. When the gospel comes in, it, it crashes into to their exploitation, to their financial evil, and the trouble continues to spiral. It says in verse, in verse 20, financial evil and those motives, they woke up, and it they says that they brought Paul and, and the group before the magistrates, Paul and Silas, and said this. They said, these men are Jews. They're outsiders. They're not like us, and they're throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Uh, so um, did, did the owners of the woman mind that Paul and Silas were talking about Jesus before they messed with their income? No. Did they mind that Paul and Silas were Jews before they messed with their income? No. Did they mind that Paul and Silas were from a faraway place and were stirring things up before they messed with their income stream? No, no, they didn't care, right? Uh, But now, uh, as soon as uh, that financial evil wakes up, uh, they get excited, they get mad because their livelihood's threatened, and they bring in a whole nother kind of evil into their uh, condemnation of Paul and Silas. Uh, The owners of the woman, they retaliate by waking up in the crowd, in the marketplace, and in the the authorities, uh, another kind of evil that we encounter all the time in our world. And and the word that I, the best word I could think of for this was tribal evil. Uh, They said, um, you know, there's 
that, that tribal prejudice, tribal evil that, that divides people based on, on your team, whether it's your religion or your race or your politics or any other identity markers, they say, these men belong to them, not us. These men are Jews. They're instigators. They're trying to hurt our community, our team, our nation, our empire. These men are them, and we are us. You see, when Paul kicks the hornet's nest of of spiritual evil, financial evil, and tribal evil, they wake up to team up to destroy Paul. And and it just becomes this, this massive crash, and it's, and it's trouble. And, and if you live in the world today, we're very familiar with tribal evil. And we're very used to using tribal evil to get what we want. Um, it continues, uh, the crowd joins the attack against Paul, right? Because these men are from outside. They don't belong to us. We belong to us. We'll destroy them. It says the crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. You see, so often we think we can collaborate and cooperate with evil to do good things, but as soon as we challenge it, uh, the, the hammer comes down, and that's, and that's what happens. Um, it says, after they had been severely flogged, Paul and Silas, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received this, these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. And so you you can kind of see what's happened so far very quickly, right? Because again, if Paul hadn't confronted the spiritual evil, he never would have threatened the financial evil. And the tribal evil never would have come after him too. They would have let all that slide because evil is fine when we leave it alone. Uh, And finally, they awaken one more more power, one more principality. And and I had a hard time on this one too. Like it's sort sort of institutional evil, When we talk about institutional evil, institutional evil is evil that has a plan and a process and a law to follow. I think one of the best examples of institutional evil in the 20th century is the Holocaust. Uh, Every every person who was sent to a concentration camp or a gas chamber, their name was written down, it was ordered, it was organized, it was meticulously followed. Everybody was just following orders. And so when Paul and Silas mess with the spiritual evil and the financial incentives and the community, the tribe that they think they belong to, the institution comes down to crush them. So institutional evil, that's, that's evil that, that's carried out by people like you and me, by, by written into law, by officials, by men and women that are just following orders. And so we can see that even though it began with only a young woman who was imprisoned by an evil spirit, as soon as Paul messed with that, everything came down to crush them. Uh, because everybody in this community, in this town, they're, they're bound by evil forces, right? The jailer, he's not, a, he's not a bad guy, right? He's a guy with a job. The people that beat Paul and Silas, they probably didn't think of themselves as bad people, but they were people with the job, and the guy said, this is what we got to do, and the law said, yep, you can do this, and so they, they did it. Uh, you see, everyone in this community, they're, they're tied in uh, with these different kinds of evil, and as long as Paul and Silas avoid them and cooperate with them, and we're often tempted to cooperate with things that we know aren't quite right because we think it'll be good for us or the church even, 
Um, but as soon as they threaten evil, all the other kinds uh, join the fight. Acts, Acts shows us something here in this story. And it's this that, that um, evil or sin or whatever, it rarely hits first. But when it does it, it hits back hard. You know, had Paul not threatened any of those things, he probably could have done his thing, told people about Jesus and left. And he and Silas would never have wound up in jail. Uh, it, like hitting that, gro- that ground wasp nest. Uh, evil is happy to coexist with Christians. It's happy to coexist with the spirit. The old world, uh, the, those institutions, those motives, those ways that we harm people, they're, they're happy to work with the church. Death is happy to live alongside life. But as soon as good and the spirit challenges a part of that evil, the claws, they come out. Because, you see, the the evil one is happy with thousands of churches and billions of Christians as long as those churches keep uh, keep out of evil's way. As long as we keep our our faith uh, to a thought, our our love to a feeling in our heart, and our, our life to a vote every couple of years, evil is delighted by that. But when faith and life and love are acted out in whole lives, when they find themselves bumping up against some of the evil systems and powers of our world, evil hits back. And it hits back hard. Because when faith is acted out in a way that threatens uh, profits or power, or when life is pursued in a way that threatens tribe or politics, or when love is acted out in a way that threatens spiritual evil, uh, evil, it teams up and it goes on the attack. Um, when I was uh, home in, in Colorado these last couple weeks, my, my dad is, uh, I've talked about him before, he's an early adopter. He, we were the first family to have a, a DVD player, a first family to have a VCR. And a few years ago, he bought a Tesla Model 3. And of course, he was excited because he could afford it and because it could drive itself. Those were the two requirements. And so now, um, it can sort of drive itself, (laughs) let me tell you, sort of, um, through a neighborhood. And it's really cool. And he'll push the little stock, and you'll sit there in the car, and it'll show you on the screen all the objects that it sees, and it'll just sort of ease down. It'll stop at the lights. It won't bump into anything. But every once in a while... Um, it'll get confused, <laughs> and it'll think that that garbage can over there is a person about to leap into the road, or that that parked car is not so parked and it's going to come and get you, and you'll be riding along, you know, chilling out as it goes through the neighborhood streets, and all of a sudden it'll just slam on the brakes, <laughs> and you're like, what is going on? <laughs> um, and and, and it's a smooth ride <laughs> all the way up until that moment, and it's convinced it just saved your life, but it definitely didn't. <laughs> Um, sometimes, sometimes Christians think that um, following God is like um, riding in a car and following all the rules of the road or, or riding in a Tesla that doesn't accidentally see uh, things. That, that if we're following God, life should be going smoothly. That if we're following God, it, we, it's like we just hit our auto drive. We can keep our hands on the wheel because it, it gets mad if you don't, but you can just kind of chill out. You can close your eyes. And if you're following God, it's going to be a smooth drive. If we stay in our lane, if we do the right thing, if we follow the rules and follow the speed limit, if we keep our eyes on the road, uh, things will go smoothly 
we think. And, and when things aren't going smoothly, we say, well, this is a sign that I'm not following God. But, but Acts, it, it shines light on the truth that the world is not like a uh, self-driving car. Uh, in fact, in, in the world, in this world that we live in today, when you're following God, it often means that your life is more bumpy and more dangerous and more painful than just going along with the different kinds of evil at work in the world. When we follow Jesus, um, the, fo- the voice of the Holy Spirit, um, it doesn't slam on the brakes to avoid um, errant garbage cans. It actually um, drives into evil sometimes. When we follow Jesus, the voice of the Spirit often doesn't lead us to smooth sailing, but drives us into a head-on collision with evil. And that exact thing happened to Paul and Silas, and it wound them up beaten and in jail. Uh, but the story's not over. Uh, verse 25, it continues. It says, At about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. So they're, they're in stocks, but they know, right? They've been on the road for a while. They know that they're going to collide with evil. And so they are sitting, and they're praying, and they're singing, and everybody's listening. And suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake, such a massive crash, that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open, and everyone's chains came loose. Just like that woman uh, had that spirit cast out of her, the, the prison, the evil that was holding them literally captive, crumbles around them. And the jailer, he wakes up, and when he sees the prison doors open, he draws a sword, and he's about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners would have escaped. And if you remember a few weeks ago what happened to the guards that lost Peter, uh, it makes sense. He's afraid, so he pulls out his sword, um, but Paul and Silas and the spirit Instead of uh, collaborating with evil and letting this man harm himself, uh, they shout. They say, don't harm yourself. We are all here. The jailer, he calls for lights. He rushes in and falls trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brings them out and asks, sirs, what must I do to be saved? He's saying another way, a a better translation someone shared with me is is he's like looking around and their their chains are broken. He's like, guys, what can I do to get out of this mess? (laughs) Out of this crash, out of this wreckage. But Paul and Silas, they follow the Holy Spirit. So they hear in his question an opportunity. And they say this, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Both you and your household. Good has crashed into evil and even you can be set free, Paul and Silas say. And it says, then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all the others in his house. He actually has, has, them, has them over. Um, I, love, I love this story. Um, I love this story because this guard, and if you keep reading, you'll see that his whole household comes to faith, that this guard who, who's imprisoning Paul and Silas, um, none of it would have ever happened um, had Paul not sent that evil spirit out of that woman. Had, had Paul not confronted evil in, in the, that evil spirit inside this woman, she would never have been set free. And the very guard that locked his feet into the stocks and his family would never have been set free. None of this would have happened if Paul had just done what we so often want to do and just said, well, maybe 
I know this is wrong. I know this is an, an evil spirit, but it's sort of helping me, so let's work together. None of this would have happened if he had decided to team up. Paul could have chosen the, the auto-drive, frictionless route. He could have avoided the conflict, kept preaching and telling people about Jesus, and who knows, you know, you know maybe, you know, Paul could have told himself this story. He said, maybe this woman would have brought more people to see Paul, or, uh, but, but we do know that had he left her alone, the magistrates, they would have left Paul alone. It would have been smooth sailing. But too often, um, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we choose to collude with a, a comfortable evil to accomplish something that seems important, and the results are, are disastrous. If you look at the history of the church, there have been times when we've collaborated um, with things like inquisitions that killed people for believing uh, incorrectly. We've collaborated with genocides. Uh, the church has even decided, you know what, it's better that people come to know Jesus than that we challenge the evil of, of slavery. And so we said, we're not going to do that. Maybe we'll work together. Maybe people will come to know Jesus because we've put them in chains. And as Christians today, we know the disaster that that's caused, the people that that's harmed, the wreckage that that's caused. Because when we team up with evil, we lose the gospel. Because the truth is, the good news is that following the Spirit, it may not lead us to smooth sailing. In fact, it leads us into head-on collisions with evil. Following the Spirit, it sets up crashes, and it's not easy in the moment, and it's hard in the moment, it's painful in the moment. But Acts shows us one more thing, that it's the crashes and the conflicts with evil where people are really set free. If following God sets up crashes, it's in the crashes that people are set free. People like the woman enslaved for financial gain and by demonic power. People like the jailer enslaved by his position, stuck serving those who are imprisoning good men. People like Paul and Silas, they're set free by a jail-smashing earthquake. It's in the crashes that people get free. So often we ask for a God to provide us comfort and stability. We see a smooth sailing as evidence that we're doing the right thing. We look to confirm our beliefs. We ask God to help us get along with others. And we say, Lord, auto-drive us to a happy and content life now. And one day we'll enter a frictionless afterlife. And, and as Christians, oftentimes in the church, and I know this because I feel this way, and I hear from people all the time, as Christians in the church, when we face crashes, when we face collisions, when we do the right thing and it costs us, which it almost always does, uh, people say, I never should have done that. I never should have stood up to my boss for the way they were treating my coworker. It just made things worse. If God really wants me to be honest in my workplace, if God really wants me to make that sacrifice, then why is it so hard? We think faith is about a smooth, unobstructed life. And when it's bumpy, we think we're doing something wrong. But the truth is, Sometimes when it's bumpy, it's because we're following a God who creates collisions with systems that hold people in place. A God that creates collision with enslavement. A God that creates collision with evil so that people can be set free. Because the Spirit isn't interested in the smoothest auto drive possible. God wants to give us freedom. 
freedom from anything that holds on to us. And it usually takes a crash to realize we're in prison. And if we're listening to the Spirit, if we're following the same Spirit that Paul followed, we'll find that sometimes our deeply held values and opinions are challenged by the Spirit. We'll find uh, that we have many ways in our lives comfortably compromised with evil. We'll find that that our, our political views sometimes need crashing into. We'll find that our distant relationships that we're happy with being distant maybe need something to crash into them. And it's, and it's painful, and it's hard to deal with, because we have to admit that maybe we don't have it all figured out. But here's the opposite. If our deeply held values and opinions are never challenged, if our comfortable compromises from evil never uh, make, themselves, uh, make us aware of them, if our, if our political views never feel threatened, if our distant relationships are kept distant, it, it means one of, one of two things. If, if we're perfect, if God's never challenging us, it means either... We're following Jesus perfectly, and we're right 100% of the time, or it means we're not listening to him at all. It's hard uh, to crash through things. It's painful. It makes life difficult. But in the crash, we can be set free. And so this week, I want to invite you to pray a, a prayer uh, every, every morning this week. So it's just a simple line, just to remember, and, and to ask God, to invite God. And, I, and I'll tell you... Um, He'll do this and and you won't like it, but just ask God, Lord, crash into my life. Crash into the lies I tell myself. Crash into the things that I I do that I know on some level are wrong, but I think it's okay because maybe it produces something better, my sin. Lord, crash into my captivity and set me free. Because um, as Christians, as followers of Jesus, um, a smooth life does not mean we're on the right path. Often it means we've closed our eyes, we've hit the stock into auto drive, and we're just hoping for the best. Lord, crash into my smooth life and set me and others free. As we come uh, to the table, uh, to the communion table, uh, it crashes with the way of the world. Because in a world that says, if you don't think and look exactly like me, the table says, All are welcome who have faith in Christ. In a world that puts a price on everything, it says, come freely receive the gift of life. In a world that's happy to get something by colluding with evil, it stands crashing into the forces of evil. We are invited to a sustaining life in a world that is destined to death. We're we're invited to an open love in a world of division. And we taste this symbol of faith and dependence on God in a world that tells us that we have to make ourselves. So as we eat, as we drink, let's invite the Spirit to crash into the places we're held captive so that we can be saved across time or boundary or identity through the sacrificial love of Jesus to disrupt the lies and evil that hold us captive and be made new through the faithfulness of the Holy Spirit. Would you pray with me? Lord God, as we come freely to your table, we ask that you would set us free, that you would point out any offensive way in us, that you would point out the lies that hold us captive and help us to plant our feet firmly on the death and resurrection of your Son. Amen.
Thanks for joining us. You can find out more about our church, our live stream, and our in-person services at BethelCove.org. Thanks and have a great week.